Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join the discussion, email us at yogahour at unity.fm. Now, here's your host, Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and I'll be sharing with you today some insights and practices from the spiritual tradition of yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization. Yoga is a familiar word today, but not everyone is aware of its spiritual meaning. It refers to oneness, union, or unity, bringing our attention and our awareness to consciously abide in our essential, changeless, spiritual nature. You could say that yoga is being restored to our original wholeness, abiding in the conscious awareness of our true self, Self-realization. It's knowing this truth about ourselves and then, of course, living in harmony with it. And today's topic, Himsa 101, Insights and Practices for Nonviolent Living Today, of course, is a, a very important way in which we live this truth of our being. The inspiring legacies of Mahatma Gandhi, the Reverend uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and Cesar Chavez have shown us the power of nonviolence to bring forth positive change. Michael Nagler and Stephanie Van Hook from the Meta Center for Nonviolence education. Join us today to explore how each of us can begin right now today to harness this power for a better life and a peaceful world. Michael Nagler is Professor Emeritus of Classics and Comparative Literature at UC Berkeley, where he co-founded the Peace and Conflict Studies Program. His publications include The Search for a Nonviolent Future, Our Spiritual Crisis, Recovering Human Wisdom in a Time of Violence, and the Upanishads with his uh, teacher, Sri Eknath Eswaran. Uh, Michael has consulted for the U.S. Institute of Peace and is founder and president of the board of the Meta Center for Nonviolence Education. 
Uh, Michael has worked on nonviolent intervention since the 70s, and as I mentioned, he's a student of Sri Eknat Eshwaran, a founder of the Blue Mountain Center of Meditation. And his website for um, Meta Center is Meta, M-E-T-T-A, center.org. And we're joined today by Meta's executive director, Stephanie Van Hook, and uh, she's been their director since uh, uh, t- 2011 and co-director from uh, 2010 to 11 and a volunteer for several years before that. She's an earnest student of principled nonviolence, meditation, and Gandhian thought and action. She's on the board of the Peace and Justice Studies Association for issues relating to women and gender. And her publications include chapters in Beyond Forgiveness, Reflections on Atonement, and various articles on alternative news sites. So I'm delighted that you're both here today. Welcome, Michael. Thank you so much, Ellen. And welcome, Stephanie. Namaste. Namaste. And uh, let's take a moment before we start our conversation just to center ourselves, a moment of meditation. Begin by simply being conscious of our breath. And as we breathe in, intend to open our hearts and our minds to divine omnipresence, becoming aware of the one reality that is called by many names, recognizing that as the support and substance of all that is. Remembering that right now, right where we are, this divine essence is present. It's present as you, as me, as everyone, as everything. So simply breathing in, breathing out, gently, being aware of the softness of our breath. We consciously relax. We remember that we are spiritual beings, that life is one, that we are all divinely connected. As we become aware of our breathing, restless thoughts begin to settle. And we can glimpse our essential nature that is beyond all that restlessness, beyond words, beyond thought, beyond change. But when we touch that, even for a moment, it can bring peace because that's its nature. So let us touch that peace right now and call it forth to pervade the mental field, the physical body. And let us agree to let that peace pervade our thoughts, our speech, and our actions all day today and every day. Ooh. 
with the community nonviolence conference called Carry the Vision right on our horizon coming up on Saturday and Michael and Stephanie will both be uh, leading a workshop there. We're, we're focusing a bit on what this carrying the vision is. So we're looking at the legacies of nonviolence. Ahimsa or nonviolence is the first of the yamas or restraints for those who practice yoga. It's a spiritual and ethical foundation for conscious, fulfilled living that includes all levels of life, our personal life, our societal interaction, and certainly our global life. Studying and practicing Ahimsa transforms our way of seeing ourselves and our place in the world, our relationship with others, and it's a profound support for discovering how to find more happiness and peace every day. It is also the ultimate political strategy, and based as it is upon changeless principles. So we have the blessing of legacies of three great leaders of social change, Mahatma Gandhiji, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and Cesar Chavez, who all studied and lived and exemplified the virtue of ahimsa or nonviolence. Michael, how would you summarize um, the inspiring legacies of these three nonviolent movements that brought about positive change? Uh, for me, Gandhi was the first and in some ways the greatest of the three, uh, and that would include other nonviolent activists also, like Aung San Suu Kyi, who's uh, in New York recently and was declaring how much she owed to Gandhiji. Uh, I think what he did was, uh, in effect, achieve self-realization while he was still in South Africa and realized, being a modern person, that this was not something to be kept up in the cave in the Himalayas, but it had to be given to the world. And uh, I always think of nonviolence as the bridge between spiritual unfolding in the person and social change. Because if you have any kind of spiritual consciousness, you cannot act violently without violating, disturbing that consciousness. Mm -hmm. So what he then did was set about systematically to explore how nonviolence would be applied in every walk of life. He was very systematic and scientific about it, but at the same time, of course, very passionate and very dedicated. So by the time he was finished, you had basically this complete science of nonviolence. And uh, what we do, for example, at the Meta Center is just help take that one tiny little bit step further by uh, unpacking how that would be relevant to our, as you were saying, our, our social, our, our personal, our social and our political life. Mm-hmm. And if you had to summarize it, I think it's based on the principle that as the Quakers used to put it, there is that of God in every man or woman. In other words, when you have a conflict with somebody, you are not in conflict with them. Your ultimate well-being is not in competition with their ultimate well-being. In fact, Martin Luther King said, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. Now, if we just took that one principle and applied it in our life, it would revolutionize our 
our life today. Our life today is based on separateness and competition. This is based on unity and complementarity. Mm-hmm. So God, enormous legacy of writing. Uh, Martin Luther King, not, not too bad, and Cesar Travis somewhat also, but it's mainly uh, their impact uh, on human beings and on the world around them. Uh, I remember my teacher, Sri Ishwaran, saying that Gandhi came back from from South Africa having realized God and set about quietly solving every problem in the modern world. One conspicuous problem that he solved was colonialism. He basically ended an entire historical era. Mm-hmm. So we, many people are following this legacy in many ways today. Thank you, Michael. What a beautiful um, beginning for us to have that insight right into the heart of nonviolence as resting on a spiritual awareness and spiritual principle. And, you know, when we study, uh, of course, the life of Gandhiji and he, and he, and he was so generous in terms of sharing his processes with us, his process of, of growth. You know, he, he didn't start out knowing how to do it. He, just as the title of his book, he experimented with truth. And so that is a, is a great, um, gift to us. And it was also, I think to the leaders who came after him, uh, Dr. King and Cesar Chavez, and and both of them, of course, w- when we look at how they did what they did, um, and their fight for justice, um, fights for justice, we we see that the spiritual component was. Uh, predominant you know in both of their lives and also pervaded the the interventions um, that they brought forth um, they also you know as as Gandhiji um, did in his work they also worked very strategically mm-hmm. uh, with nonviolence so it wasn't just an idea um, that they then it, it tried to put into action. Perhaps it began that way with this spiritual insight, but then um, the interventions that they made um, were were very um, methodical and uh, and strategic and really multidisciplinary. So there's the spiritual aspect, but there's also the physical and mental disciplines uh, involved. Um, and, and Stephanie, as someone who's been studying nonviolence as well, what do you see in these uh, leaders that has inspired you? Yes, well, thank you. Um, what I wanted to point out is that the, the, the thread that goes through all three of them is um, the concept of love and action. And what that really means is it's, it's a kind of own awakening. It's, um, it's turning passivity, it's transforming passive um, fear, you know, the, 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 those passive emotions into something active, positive, which is a capacity that all of us have. And so when I think about Cesar Chavez, you know, in the Si Se Puede, right, this is, this is just, you know, sort of the fundamental sort of slogan of uh, we are empowered, Right, we've we've mm-hmm. touched that place. We are no longer going to be passive, mm-hmm. um, and and that inspires. It's like lighting a candle, and and it's, it's lighting a flame in the souls of people to mm-hmm. um, to realize their their purpose and to, to move toward unity. And I think that um, in nonviolence, people often associate it with being passive, and so they're really when we can look at them as you know love and love in action and awakening those. 
um, passive drives to transform them into something constructive and positive as a means to achieving our, our, our ends of um, interconnectedness. That's what's the most inspiring thing to me about nonviolence. Thank you, Stephanie. Yeah, yeah, and I think it is, um, it, it, it's a really important clue, um, for our listeners this morning. Um, you know, if we're tempted to think about, um, nonviolence in the term, in terms of the non that precedes the word, you know, as if, as you say, as if it's something passive, then we really haven't properly understood it. Um, that it, it is not at all a passive injunction, but it has to do with active uh, engagement. And as you've said, its, it's fulfillment is, uh, is really love. And um, so in, in terms of what we can do right away, you know, we can, we can begin to, I think, explore in our own lives how, how we are actively engaged in nonviolence. Well, and I think that also ties us back into the practice of meditation as well because um, a, a general misconception about meditation is that you're sitting there doing nothing. Mm-hmm. You're in- <laughs> and, and, and meditators um, know that this is, you're, you're actually, you're activating yourself in, in, in the meditative state. And so to, to translate that energy that's transformed in meditation, that active state, on the subtle level and transforming that into collective transformation um, is something um, very, very amazing. Mm. It it truly is. Michael, go ahead. Yeah, I'd like to add something to that. I've discovered over many years that what I'm going through when I'm meditating, as always knock wood, assuming that I'm doing it correctly, is exactly what I need to go through when I'm in a nonviolent interaction. In other words, uh, here I am. The, the way we meditate, it's called passage meditation, and I'm trying to focus my mind uh, sequentially going through the words of an inspirational passage, and that's evoking that love and that positive active state that Stephanie was talking about, and up comes some distractions. And the struggle is to keep my mind focused on the passage and not let it get pulled away by the distractions. Well. At a certain point, I realized that if I'm confronting someone who's challenging me, who's threatening me, who's trying to make me afraid, that fear and resentment in my mind is, if you will, a distraction. It's a distraction from the awareness that he and I or she and I are one. So the struggle that I've been going through in meditation uh, is there for me, in, in enabling me to carry out a nonviolent conversion and a nonviolent interaction with that person. Mm-hmm. And that's why uh, Thich Nhat Hanh actually said, you may believe in nonviolence, but when you're out there and the dogs are barking at you and the tear gas canisters are going off, mm-hmm. your nonviolence is going to evaporate unless you have a steady meditative practice behind it. Absolutely. And, and when we come back from the break, um, let's, let's touch a little bit more on that. We're going to look at insights and practices, um, that can support our nonviolence, uh, every day. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with guests Michael Nagler and Stephanie Van Hook. And we'll be right back with you.
As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world, we count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Affirm the good that flows within you and stretch to reach your divine potential with daily inspirational messages from Daily Word. My affirmation of faith is, I release and I let go. I release my desire to control people or situations. I let go of fear, worry, and doubt. I trust in divine power, which is infinitely capable of establishing right outcomes. I align myself with this power through prayer and meditation. Opening my mind and heart to the wisdom of the universe, I recall the promise, I am with you always to the end of the age. With this assurance, I find the strength to let go of anything holding me back. Letting go and letting God is a choice. It empowers me to move forward with ease and confidence. It provides me peace of mind and the assurance of divine order. As I let go and let God, I open the door to infinite possibilities. Daily Word magazine is now available in a digital format. A one-year subscription to Daily Word digital magazine with audio is only $9.95. That's less than three cents a day to start your day right, centered and connected to the truth within you. To learn how you can subscribe to this online interactive magazine, go to www.dailyword.com. From on the air to on the sea, pack your bags and come with me. Hey, hey, what you waiting for? An early winter rendezvous with all the things you love to do. Hey, hey, treat yourself to more. A little more summer, a little more sun, a little less work and a lot more fun. A little more beach, a little more sand. A little less stress and a lot more pain. Join your favorite Unity Online Radio hosts for Cruise in the Caribbean, November 10th to 17th, 2012. On this fun-filled Caribbean adventure, enjoy sunshine, exceptional dining, and island excursions. Feed your spirit with music, message, and meditation, plus one-on-one time with some of your favorite hosts. That's Cruise in the Caribbean, November 10th to 17th, 2012. To learn more, go to unity.fm slash cruise. A little more sunset, a little more sea, a little less do and a lot more be. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and my guests today are Michael Nagler and Stephanie Van Hook from the Meta Center for Nonviolence Education. And uh, we're talking about ahimsa practice in in daily life. And, of course, Michael and uh, Stephanie have both been uh, working with this on, on many levels and, and teaching it for some time. So, Michael, in your work in nonviolence and nonviolence education, um, what have you learned about what works and what 
doesn't work. <laughs> that, <laughs> start there. Okay. Well, love works. <laughs> mm. um, but one has to learn how to, um, how to keep it on, uh, in a positive, uh, selfless uh, avenue. I think I'm kind of stumbling around here. But, but I, I think regular practice of turning away from distracting thoughts and negative thoughts uh, almost every moment of the day, which we do by trying to keep a mantra going in our mind uh, all day long, that is tremendously helpful when uh, uh, non, uh, of some kind of a threat. Or Now, I keep referring to threat situations. That's where nonviolence is really tested. But you can practice nonviolence long before there's any kind of threat developing. And that's why Gandhi said that uh, basic training is what's necessary for the, the art of himsa, the art of harming, of killing. But constructive program is the equivalent to that for the art of nonviolence. And uh, so getting engaged in selfless actions where you're not attached to the results is a very good practice. And uh, staying away from disruptive influences like most of the mass media. I mean, if the, if our commercial media consisted of yoga hours, we would be in a very different, be living in a very different world today. Um, so what works ultimately is clinging desperately to the awareness that your opponent is a person with the same underlying desires and and needs as yourself. And we can cling to that and cling to the vision that there really is no such thing as a conflict of interest. There's a conflict, there are conflicts of strategies, there's conflicts of worldviews, but my well-being is not in competition with yours and vice versa. So clinging to those practices and those thoughts I, I find very helpful. Stephanie, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to add a couple of things. Um, uh, sort of like what you said, Michael, but um, we just give it a different term, which is mm-hmm. unity and diversity works. So as as opposed to having everybody um, trying to do everything the same and think everything the same, the important thing is to have diversity at the surface level and unity at the heart level. Um, so, so what works is is really um, having this constant awareness of the of the oneness of all life. Really, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> and that and that you can't you know violating another. Of course, this is the the spiritual law that we find in all traditions. You know, violating violating another. You know, we we violate our ourselves. And, and Michael, you were you were talking about you know, uh, being able to respond, uh, to a threat. And, um, you know, I think on even, on even a, the smaller level, um, which is significant really for us in, in daily lives, you know, sometimes the threats are certainly, um, just perceived threats. Um, and these are threats to the ego, right? And so it, the, the threat is that we're going to take something personally that somebody says and it will trigger anger or a reactive, um, uh, a reactive situation that will cause, uh, then violent words or sometimes 
you know, violent behavior. So it doesn't even have to be somebody threatening us with physical violence. It can be, you know, even in our home life, um, somebody is saying something that, that hits a button inside of us. And so as you were describing, uh, earlier, um, our meditation practice begins to um, bring a little more inner light, a little more spaciousness. That's how I uh, experience it. So that there's a delay. <laughs> there's a delay. And we can really, in that just momentary delay, we have a, a moment of choice about um, responding or reacting. And Stephanie, is this your sense too, in terms of your, your spiritual practice and, and how how it works, you know, right there on the ground. Right. Yeah. I think um, that it is exactly that, that that when we um, believe in the worldview of separation, that that fundamental idea of separation is violent. So whenever we tend towards separation and, and we engage in responses or behaviors that would reinforce it, that, um, that false notion of, separation, we are um, not practicing ahimsa. So by really holding on to this idea that, oh, wow, that that bothered me, this thing bothered me, but what, I might be wrong. I, I, so I could, I can try to step outside of um, my own worldview and my own, you know, uh, desire to be right or to dominate and just, and allow myself to be vulnerable um, but then also holding on to my principles, the ones that I've that I've really tested, and that I'm re- I feel very very strongly about. Hold on to those as if they were my lifeline. Mm-hmm. So something like, you know, unity that I'm no matter what this person does, I'm not going or whatever my ego tells me, I'm not going to believe that I'm separate from this other person. Mm, that's a powerful awareness to bring to every relationship. Um, when we think about uh, this practice of nonviolence and, you know, the, the learning process that goes on for everybody who engages in it, um, because it, it's, it's a, it's a living, it's a process of living, you know, so we have principles, but putting them into practice, um, is going to be different for everybody in every moment. You know, it, we have to learn what the moment requires. So there's no script for us other than, you know, learning to live by principle. And Michael, I was thinking about your, your wonderful book, which I, I want to recommend, um, for those who haven't read it, this search for a nonviolent future, um, where you, you really show, um, how these practices can work and have worked uh, historically. But I'm remembering um, from the book, and it's been a little while since I've read it, but it kind of stuck with me, where you said um, that nonviolence sometimes works, Mm -hmm. but violence never works. And uh, that was really um, a very uh, important understanding for me to when I when I read that book. Can you talk with, a little bit about that? Uh, I better be able to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for mentioning Search for Nonviolent Future, Ellen, and I think in a way that was the climax of the book to come to this formulation, which is very reasonable, very scientific, and, and very testable. And in its full form, what it says is that violence sometimes works but it never really does good work. 
I, I was saying it sometimes works, quote unquote, but it never works. That is, you can get somebody to do something through violence, but it never makes the situation better. Um, horrible example just recently came to mind, yes, to my attention yesterday. There was a particular, uh, uh, Arabic uh, person who was tortured by the CIA into, con- into saying that there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. So the violence worked to get him talking, but it didn't work to get him to tell the truth. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people died as a result of that lie that was tortured out of him. So violence often does work. It gets what we want. You know, we point a gun at you, you give me your wallet. But it never works. It never makes us feel closer to one another so that the world becomes a better place. Now, when you go over to nonviolence, nonviolence also sometimes works, quote unquote. Sometimes it does not. There are spectacular examples of uh, threatening behavior being deflected by nonviolence, but there's also examples of people who got killed in the act of offering nonviolent resistance, like Maximilian Kolbe, the saint of Auschwitz. But it always works without quotes. That is, it always makes things better. So even in your death, in your suffering, you move humanity forward. Whereas with violence, even when you succeed, when you get what you think you want in that immediate situation, you are holding humanity back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the spiritual law that is there is that things only can produce of their own kind. You know, well, and the, yeah, and the Buddha Buddha said it. You know, in terms of you know only only love can conquer hate you know hate always brings hate and love always brings love so um let's come back to spiritual practice with this and and we we started in the first segment talking a little bit about that um stephanie how is your own spiritual practice connected to this practice of ahimsa um let's see well which in every way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suspected that was the answer. <laughs> um, the, I think that the most important thing is that I, every every morning I'm up, you know, up sitting, <laughs> sitting up, um, doing my meditation, and um, at that time I'm, I'm I'm accomplishing a lot that I that I'm able to carry with me throughout the day, and then I have my mantra that I carry with me. So when I'm when I'm wanting, when I need to hold on to that energy that I got from meditation in the morning, I can, I can carry it with me and just continue to try to deepen my consciousness throughout the day, so that I'm always holding on to that thread of um, unity instead of separation. I, that's now it expresses itself in in a lot of ways. Um, one, not that I do it perfectly either. I, I mean, it's, I think the important thing about spiritual practice is. Once we understand the spiritual, the next thing we have to understand is its practice, and um, to understand that every day we get better, and we might have some setbacks, but we can learn from them. And I never, I don't, ha- I don't carry guilt around with me anymore as well, which I think is important in a nonviolent worldview. Is that I, I, I just try to carry consciousness with me that okay, I made a mistake, let me learn from that and move on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. 
Yeah, and so we, we learn, in a sense, to be nonviolent with ourselves uh, through our spiritual practice. And, and I think really the key is understanding that you know, we ourselves are the instruments of nonviolence. So there's no sense in, in studying this as a technique <laughs> without understanding that um, it, it's what we share uh, what we bring forth in in consciousness, and um, Michael, I you know I've been a fan of yours and your work for a long time, and I and I know um, that it's really been based on um, what you learned from your spiritual teacher. Uh, Sri Ishwaran, and um, at least that is how you know I, I see it. That mm-hmm. um, the great uh, spiritual inspiration that you received from him, and then how, and then ahimsa is a natural outpicturing of that. So, tell us a little bit about that in terms of your own spiritual life and practice, and uh, how, how these connect for you. Oh, what a wonderful question! Well, I. Uh I always had a kind of inclination towards and desire for peace and nonviolence, but I had really no idea how to make it happen in my mind or in my relationships. And uh, it was quite frustrating because I had this higher ideal that I was always constantly failing of. And then when I met Triishran in uh, 1966, I sort of intuitively sensed that he was where I wanted to be. So on in first level, the most important thing that he imparted uh, to us was this practice of passage meditation that he had developed and the other seven practices that go along with it. You know, he said, the Buddha has his noble eightfold path and Patanjali has his eight limbs of yoga and I have my little eight-point program. But, uh, of course, it also was happening on many other levels. The fact that he was able to keep on loving me even when I made mistakes, even when I, when I failed him in ways, um, the incredible uh, peace and compassion that he always radiated. It was, uh, I mean, I'm looking at his picture right now as I'm telling you this. Um, he helped me, at least if not, realize, if not get identified with quite yet, at least get oriented to the deepest well of spiritual awareness, the the core of uh, beauty and compassion that was buried in my own consciousness. And simultaneously to be oriented toward that same element in every person and, and indeed in every creature. Mm-hmm. And he also, uh, in my case in particular, he really uh, opened my eyes to what Gandhi was, who Gandhi was, what he was really about, Martin Luther King really was. And I remember uh, it was kind of a paradox because on the one hand, through his tremendous love for Gandhi, whom he had met in India and who had awakened his spirituality, I began to see that Gandhi was, on the one hand, much, much greater than I had realized. But on the other hand, he was also more accessible, that he he became what he became through practices, which I myself could imitate. And sure, I never would get quite that far, but I would get to be a lot better than I was. And then uh, that launched me into 
a cognitive study of what Gandhi had experimented with and what he had taught. And I think it's important for us not to overlook that element. Of course, if you just study Gandhi and write down all of his principles, it doesn't really get you very far. But at the same time, once you have gotten some kind of meditative orientation inside yourself, it's silly not to add to that the the intellectual knowledge, even down to the little techniques. Like earlier on, Ellen, you were mentioning the the strategy, the strategic aspect of Gandhi's teaching. I was thinking the little things that he discovered, like no fresh issue and non-embarrassment. Those were two laws that he worked out in South Africa. So that no fresh issue means once you once you start to get some traction with somebody and you're getting some headway, they're giving you some concessions, that's not the time to reach for everything. <laughs> yeah, anybody who's married knows about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, marriage is a very good laboratory for violence. Um, and then the other thing was non-embarrassment. If your opponent is distracted, that's not the time to take advantage. Mm. And in, in two, right at the climax of both of his major campaigns, the one in South Africa for the civil rights of indentured and non-indentured Indians, and the one in India, of course, for the liberation of the country, there were moments right toward the end when the British were uh, embarrassed. In the case of India, it was a little thing called World War II. And a lot of his followers were saying, now's the time to really hit him. And he said, no, in nonviolence, we don't do that. It's like in a conversation, if someone is distracted, that's not the time to yell at them. You mm-hmm. wait to get their attention. Mm-hmm. So I, I like to cover the whole spectrum, you know, the spiritual grounding that I work on day in and day out myself. And uh, Meta has just been given a marvelous Gandhi library. I like to, you know, pour over those books and read them and study them systematically the whole the whole spectrum of human learning, I think, is open to us, and it's a marvelous adventure. Thank you, Michael. And for all of us, that there's things that we can do right away: meditate, and uh, study, and practice uh, self discipline. Um, all of these things are part of nonviolent living. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and you're listening to the Yoga Hour with special guests today: Michael Nagler and Stephanie Van Hook. The website for the Meta Center is metacenter.org. M-E-T-T-A center.org. Uh, we'll be right back with you, following up uh, our last segment today is on hope for the future. We'll be right back with you. Wellness expert, Dr. Michelle Robin on healthy living. In the game of wellness, there's some basic habits that you need to embrace in order to live a well life. In her book, Wellness on a Shoestring, Robin shows you that complete wellness of body, mind, and spirit doesn't have to cost a fortune. Client Eddie Penrice turned his health around with Dr. Robin's Seven Habits for a Healthy Life. I've got to say my body just embraced the change. Besides feeling better, looking better, thinking more clearly. Many of Robin's seven habits for a healthy life are simple and free. She offers tips and shares real stories from clients like Eddie, who've incorporated the habits into their lives and seen the results. You can make this change by being convicted that you will do it, that you don't need anyone else's assistance or help to do it. Make this the year you get healthy. Discover a low-cost, attainable path to feeling better than ever. 
Order wellness on a shoestring today at www.shopunity.org. Good parenting doesn't happen by default. It's intentional. It's a decision about who you'll be and what you'll do in your family life. Join your hosts, Reverends Jennifer and Ogan Holder, each week for Unity Family Matters as they guide you on a spiritual journey, creating conscious family life. Experience the light side of parenting, realizing your divine identity while raising your children to know they are the light of God. Gain insights based on unity principles. Talk with today's prominent experts in spiritual parenting and address your questions and comments from spiritual perspectives. Unity Family Matters. Every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. If you have a question, please submit it via email at yogahour at unity.fm and we will respond. Now, back to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien and my guests today are Michael Nagler and Stephanie Van Hook from the Meta Center for Nonviolence Education. Um, Stephanie, your current work includes something you call Roadmap, a long-term strategy for nonviolent transformation. And on your website, it's introduced, uh, there's a wonderful graphic there, and uh, it's introduced with, with, this, with these words. How many times have you heard someone say, where do we go from here? Roadmap just might be an answer. Roadmap is a strategic plan drawing on Gandhian principles for long-term nonviolent transformation and the potential to unite all of our various projects and passions without sacrificing their individuality. This sounds visionary and powerful. And so tell us about this tool and how are people using it? Thanks. Uh, yeah, Roadmap is a, a very exciting um, project that we have at Meta. Um, the uh, the principle underlying it is what I had mentioned earlier, which is the idea of unity and diversity. How can we? How can when we're when we're talking with people about in the, the movement toward peace, everybody seems to think that their issue is the most important issue. Like everybody has to move over to gift economy work, or oh, that's not the most important thing. We have to all focus on climate change or, you know what, I'm working on peace building. So, you know, and, and it's all important work. All of the work matters. So the important thing is to be able to see ourselves, you know, conceptually in, in the same framework, all working toward the same thing, but just holding on to a different piece of that movement. Um, so that's really the first aspect of it is that don't stop what you're doing, but just recognize that you're a part of a larger movement and that everybody's work matters. But Let's try to do something. Let's try to go somewhere now. That now that we all kind of see where our gifts are and what we're doing, let's try to make a nonviolent revolution happen. <laughs> just to just throw that out there. Um, <laughs> so it's 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 based in Gandhian principles because of the um, as you see on roadmap, it starts off with the person power that igniting the flame inside of ourselves, which we have some recommendations. Um, for that, which Michael will get into, 
um, igniting the flame within ourselves, not waiting for the numbers, but waiting for, you know, the, the practice, the inner practice, extending that then into constructive program work, which means building the institutions, building the world that we want, which if you look at the kind of activism that's happening right now, a lot of it is constructive program work. If there's, there are new technologies, there are new institutions out there, but nobody knows about them. So it, this this revolution can, can happen really quickly if we all just start to really highlight what those institutions are and start to participate with them more. And that is really excellent. Before, I just want to interrupt you for a moment and say that that you've really just touched on the heart of what Carry the Vision is about. Um, mm-hmm. As a community work, you know, our our vision is to really bring together. Uh, people who are carrying forth uh, the vision of Gandhiji, of uh, Dr. King, of Cesar Chavez, because we're often, you know, just so focused on our one area of the work that we don't see community-wide. Um, there's an incredible amount of really good work going on. So I just needed to say that yes. about Carry the Vision, and, and please continue, Stephanie. Well, th- thank you. Yes, exactly. And that there's then there's the third phase after we're doing the constructive work. That's the time when we're prepared. You know that we've we've grounded ourselves, we've centered ourselves, we've seen ourselves as a movement. We've highlighted what those institutions are that we'd rather uh, engage with, and then we can say to the old system, old paradigm work, we don't need you anymore. We don't. We don't. When we're willing to defend what we have through nonviolence and through the power of community that we formed together. Um, this is it's a really exciting uh, project. I, I can't say I really can't say enough about it, but I'll, I'll pass this on to Michael just so he can because I know he's probably squirming in his chair over there. Mm. <laughs> Not at all, Stephanie. Ellen is uh, watching me on video. She can ver- verify that I am not squirming. I was uh, applauding. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's that we we got very great confirmation recently from Narayan Desai, who worked with Gandhi for 23 years, that this pattern of personal empowerment leading to constructive work where you build the world that you want, and then where you strategically confront the old system where it hasn't given away, that that is the the formula for success. And we we like to think sometimes of... uh, Nonviolence as a bird with two wings and a brain. And the one wing is constructive program, the other wing is active resistance or satyagraha, and the brain is knowing when to do which. Right. So, because so so often the, the the challenge I think that King and Gandhi and Chavez pose to us is that we we might look at just the the exciting moments of their career in nonviolence and we try to imitate those things which tends mm-hmm. to look like the protest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we jump to that, and then we're looking for the charismatic leader, and and our, and our movements keep falling apart because we're mm-hmm. picking up from the wrong space. Mm-hmm. And so this and, is, yeah. it's, it's helping us take us also sort of that collective step back and say, okay, who were these people really? What were they really doing? What, mm-hmm. was the, what did their leadership consist in? And, and how can we move forward um, mm-hmm. with 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 a with a bigger vision. Yeah, and those um, two things I want to say about just the just the little um, taste of roadmap that you've given us, and I hope that people will follow up with uh, the interest in it and go to your website and take a look. There's a lot of information there at meta um, metacenter.org. Um, 
I, I want to say that, you know, what you're, what you're talking about is, um, how we see that nonviolence is not passive, but that it is a strategy that draws on strengths. It draws on our spiritual strength first, and it draws, um, and it's a strategic intervention so that when we see these, um, protests, um, that were so powerful, when we study, we find that, that they, you know, they, they arose out of, um, this spiritual work, um, that was done and building alliances. That was a very important part. Of, of the work. So we're, we're talking about, you know, seeing how we can come together and recognize that, you know, even though we're focused on a different aspect, um, we're, we're wholly working together. And so alliances are really an important part of it. Um, before we conclude this morning, I want to um, ask you, um, Michael, what gives you hope for the future? Mm. Ultimately, what gives me hope for the future is knowing that there's that core of uh, brilliant perfection and purity inside every human being and in a, in a remoter way inside every creature. And that ultimately, uh, we do not want this world of competition and hatred and uh, greed and materialism. And so someone who has risen above it acts as a mirror that can awaken other people. Mm -hmm. So I have great hope in the potential of nonviolence in the fact that uh, today, in in some ways, nonviolence is in a better position than ever, despite appearances, because we now have this marvelous convergence between uh, rigorous science and the ancient wisdom traditions that are fitting together beautifully. We have a world where when someone carries out nonviolence successfully in Serbia, they're immediately brought over to coach the folks in Tahrir Square in Cairo. And that that is brand new. And there's a number of other things that I can mention that were not even available in Gandhi and, and King's day. So I don't for one minute minimize the, the threats and the dangers that we're all facing because of our passivity and our hypnotism by the mass media. But I think that the potential for regeneration can never be destroyed. And there are even good possibilities now that it's uh, on the way to being majorly awakened. Mm, and we're certainly living in a time um, where we can see um, what is possible and we can see um, our connection um, globally in, in a way that we never were able to see it before. Um, Stephanie and Michael, it's been a joy to share this yoga hour with you. And I thank you so much for being a part of this today and also for being a part of the upcoming uh, Carry the Vision Community Nonviolence Conference on Saturday, September 29th. Um, to register for that conference, go to carrythevision.org. And remember, for more information about Roadmap and other resources for nonviolence, you can visit metacenter.org. Listen in uh, next week for a program on gratitude, uh, the key for loving your life with special guest Angelus Arian. This will be a wonderful opportunity to um, cultivate a a state of of deep joy. And uh, to sign up for the upcoming Living the Eternal Way course, 
which is offered globally online, visit csecenter.org. And remember, we're on Facebook now, so do the thing where you push that button that Mm -hmm. says you like us and that helps to get the word out. I look forward uh, to being with you at the upcoming conference and at next week's Yoga Hour. Until then, let your inner light shine into the world and remember to share your peace and your joy with everyone you meet. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org. Are you ready for the next steps on your spiritual path? If you are, you won't want to miss the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. Essential insights and practices from the ancient yoga science of self-realization show us how to live healthier, happier, more balanced lives. The benefits of spiritually conscious living start now. For a time-tested method to live with purpose and realize your infinite potential, tune in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien, every Thursday morning at 10 Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. In quiet moments of prayer, let go of any concern. Anchor your trust deep in the realization that with God all things are possible. Never doubt it for a single moment. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Have you heard about Dr. Tom Shepard's new program on Unity Online Radio? Tom Shepard, isn't he the Unity Magazine question and answer guy? Right. Well, they've actually turned him loose with a radio show, and I hear it's going to be pretty edgy. Edgy? Like what? Guest panelists and students from Unity Institute and Seminary, topics like abortion, gay marriage, war and peace, environmental issues, Islamic fundamentalism, universal health care, religion and politics, current events. Yeah, but they'll all be Unity people, right? Dr. Tom and his students will talk about the hard questions facing all people today, sometimes joined by rabbis, priests, liberal and conservative ministers, Buddhist monks, Baha'is, Hindus. And he's going to interview them on the program? 
better. He's going to introduce a controversial topic and let students and special guests go for it. This could get explosive. Does he have guys in black shirts standing by to break up the fights? (laughs) If I know Dr. Tom, he will keep it both friendly and spirited. Whoa, I gotta hear this. When and where? The program is called Let's Talk About It, and it's on every Thursday at 9 a.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio. So let's talk about it. Definitely, let's. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. 